0: It is episode seventeen of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show with Jonathan Howe and Travis Cunningham. Travis, how's it going? And more importantly, who is the first number 17 that comes to mind when you think local dirt track racing in Southern Ontario?
1: For me, and it goes perfectly with this weekend's upcoming show at Humberstone Speedway. It's Pete Costco and Jordan Costco now. So Pete Costco Memorial at Humberstone this Sunday, big show coming up at Humberstone. Gonna be fun. Hopefully you can be on the mic with me again. I think
0: you can. And uh yeah, Pete go for me and Jordan. Yep, I'm gonna be there for that one. And uh that's a good pick. Uh I'm gonna go with uh past guest, Josh Slider in the seventeen mod light car. Uh that seventeen sees a lot of victory lane lately. So uh it's uh it's been a busy couple days in the dirt racing world. We had the uh Spring Car Nationals, NASCAR Pinty series on dirt, uh regular scheduled programming at Maryville and uh it all started on Friday night with uh, the uh, Middleport Mechanical Thunderstocks running the uh, Brock Leonard Memorial Race. So that's that's how far back we're going here. It feels weird to talk about Friday at Osh Weekend after a Monday and Tuesday show at Osh Weekend, but we've got to start there, right? So uh, shout out to Justin Ramsey, brings it home, winning it uh, after 50 laps over Ryan Beagle, Dave Bailey, Jim Lampman, and Mark Fawcett. That's your top five in the Thunder Sox in the Brock Leonard Memorial. Yep, I watched that one live. Uh, Ramsey just ripped the top, and he became the
1: uh, only the first person ever to win it twice. I think the the first eight times they ran it, mm-hmm. it was eight different guys, and Ramsey won it twice for the first time on Friday, so that's a cool little stat he got there. And, uh, yeah, he smoked them. And then Beagle second, Bailey third.
0: So Beagle technically was the first Australian car across the line. Nice. Uh, over on the uh, 602 Sportsman Modified Series, the Race of Champions, uh, Cody McPherson gets it done at on the at the uh, Sportsman on, uh, on the Big O. Uh, Justin Sharp brings it home second. Billy Bleach third. Adam Leslie fourth. Jay Mallory rounds out your top five there. Yep. Uh, Adam Leslie led early on that one. And then uh, he was rolling the
1: bottom. And then Justin Sharp got around him on the top. And then uh it became like a three car battle for the lead. Cody got in there, Cody had to come from a little farther back. And uh some lap cars got in the mix and slowed Sharpie down on the top. And uh that let Leslie and Cody get by, and then that's when Cody got the lead and then Sharpie got back by uh Leslie for second and then Bleach got by Leslie for third. So then yeah, that was it basically it. Good show there. Uh if those lap cars I think Cody probably still would have got Sharpie, but it would have been a little interesting if Sharpie didn't get messed up on the lap. Or
0: something. Yeah, it was a uh, it was an exciting night of racing. Like I was watching it live Friday on G Force as well. Uh getting ready to go to Oshkosh and myself for the first time in a few years, so I was like, Oh, I'm gonna watch make sure I'm watching live and have stuff fresh in my memory. And that sportsman race did stick out. The other one that stuck out was uh Mac Demand's performance in the uh crate sprints. I mean uh, he was driving the uh, was it the Austin Rose machine right the three RS Austin's usually mm-hmm. in that vehicle and uh, Mac was shaking it down for him and uh, what a result started on pole led uh, I think he led pretty much all 20 laps I don't remember him losing the lead uh, he wins it over Lucas Smith Jacob Dykstra Jesse Costa and Eric Gledhill
1: I don't know yeah I don't know if he last lead either but uh, Lucas Smith was definitely giving him a run for his money and they were uh, definitely racing close for a little bit of the race. And uh yeah, I don't know how I feel about the three sixty guys dropping down. Like I am a modified guy at heart, a little bit, and like mm-hmm. you never see modified guys running down, dropping down their own sportsmen, you know what I mean? And uh I know if they do it up there, but uh I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not gonna lie. And uh but yeah, good to see Mac pick up the windows his tra- kinda track. First night there was the seems like there was a cushion that held all the way around on that Friday. Sucks that the three sixties weren't there. Yeah. But, uh yeah.
0: That's Mac's track. Well well, let's get into that. Let's get into that idea that the uh, the idea of the three hundred and sixty guys dropping down, because um, obviously you are seeing a lot more sprint car racing and a lot more familiar with that field racing at you know, ash weekend on Friday nights. Whereas you know, I if at Merrillville Speedway, it's it's kind of something extra special, right? So the field can get a little bit jumbled. It's not the same cast of characters you know, we, we might see regularly. But for me, it doesn't. I think, like, I'm okay with it because I know Mac was just helping out a buddy. It felt like at least that's how I took it from his victory lane interview and that, you know, he was just really trying to, you know, make sure that Austin had good stuff going forward and was ready for two big shows on Monday and Tuesday. So I I think if it's occasional, it's not the end of the world. You know, I don't think we're going to be we're, – we're facing any sign of – sort of bushwhacking situation right back in the day when you had the cup guys going down and just running full seasons of uh the bush series and just destroying things i don't think that's what we're headed towards with crate sprints and 360s but uh I'll, i'm okay with letting this one slide that's my my take
1: yeah i don't hate about the, like you almost go with the last you can only do it five times or something four times you can make a rule like that right right now they're allowed like jacob yeah. running action sprint tour but he's not running kot for points so that's how it is now. And then he's allowed to run because he mm-hmm. didn't run the crater last weekend, weekly. So he just ran those two because it was uh, action sprint tour. But uh, yeah, Mac dropping down. Mac's been up yeah, the like, tour 360 events. Steady Dude for a while now. And that one felt
0: a little different. Fair enough. Uh, and then the other race uh, on the night that night, uh, Tyler LaFonzie wins yet another feature in the MIDI stocks. He uh, <laughs> wins it over Hughes, Tolton, Wade Thorne, and Dusty DeBoer. Um there's not much to say about Tyler LaFonnacy, man. Guys just they've just got it figured out. All the TMR cars just gotta get it got it figured out. We gotta get Tyler or Kyle or even even Clinton Barrack on. We gotta that you know what, that might be the off season. That might be an off season interview. We'll sit down the whole TMR team and, and get them to explain what exactly they're doing in this mini stock program that makes them so so much better than everybody else. Well,
1: I think they'll tell us why. Well, know what doing. Yeah.
0: we'll we'll but, get the uh, diplomatic answers and then maybe just maybe we can tug at the right strings that maybe we'll get the uh the proper yeah. uh answer. But the race, uh Hughes he was leading and I thought he was gonna pick up his like they said
1: on the broadcast he had ten wins already. That would have been his eleventh, and uh all the other guys were running the top and LaFanus could just roll the bottom, shortest way around. Smoked them. Didn't really mm-hmm. smoke them, but uh, just picked them off. And uh yeah. I was pulling for Hughes a little bit because uh, I know him, and he ran a sprint car a little bit for a while. And, uh, yeah, couldn't quite get it done. LaFontasy wins six on the year.
0: Well, I mentioned the dominance of LaFontasy and the TMR team, and we saw it on display again the next night at Maryville Speedway in the Van Sickle Pet Value uh, PV on the lane, four cylinders. Uh, Kyle Rothwell wins in the 19 car, which uh, that car was originally prepared, I believe, to be Hannah Rothwell's ride, and they are having all kinds of mechanical gremlins with it. Uh, I think is been the, the story through the year and that it looks good on Saturday. Um, I think I wrote the article basically saying that it was kind of a story of the tortoise and the hare where La Fonese was just slicing and dicing through the field uh, going super fast. And then uh, I think with like five laps to go, he was finally able to get by Vincent Pagnotta who was doing a great job leading out front. I, I got to give props to that 13 of Pagnotta. He's been, he's starting to really show something in, the, in that Mustang um I I thought maybe he would be able to hold on to it. Then Rothwell gets the lead, or Rothwell gets past LaFontasy on the last lap. Uh just played his patience perfectly. Uh both drivers up twelve spots from where they started. And yeah, Rothwell, I think that was feature win number three on the year at Merrittville. Again, I wrote the article. I should remember that. But uh yeah, Rothwell wins over LaFontasy, Pagnata, worstro and I could see Anthony Kelly back in the top five in the mini stocks and uh even shout out to we you know we talked about the team TMR cars uh Hannah Rothwell brought home six so uh I don't know if her feature win is not too far down the road uh, yet either. Yeah, it's not this year probably next year for sure
1: for Hannah and uh
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, would that be like three wins and three cars for Kyle then? Probably 96, 19,
0: 114. I think you're right. That's yeah, I think good. that is three different cars that he has won in this year. That's impressive. Yeah. And- I don't the, the race it, so it I'll makes me a
1: review of it. I know that is. That's three yeah, three cars, three wins.
0: Yeah. And it makes me wonder what where Kyle would be against LaFontesi in if he was able to run a full schedule or if he decided to run a full schedule, you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, to, he'd be up there. And be close like always. Yeah, right? Cuz it it kind of felt like last year was LaFontesi's year to chase Kyle and and Rothwell was the dominant car. And then this year it's, it's switched because Kyle's not running. So uh, I, I I don't know. I'm interested to see. I kind of hope that Kyle comes back and runs a full season. We'll have to ask him about that one day on a podcast and see if uh, he has any plans to get back at it or if he's sticking with running the business and running the race team and that's good enough for him. Uh, over on the Modlite side, another dominant win for Brent Begalo. Uh Guy was just... Guy's just so good in a mod light right now. And 16, 16 cars, perfect. Uh, Sean Iftati, give Cheeseburger credit. He's been super consistent. He's right there again. Ryan Anderson with another top five after we were giving him a shout out for, I think, his first career top five uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then, uh, oh, who was it here? My top five. I just scrolled past it. And it's uh, Rob Meisner and Josh Slider running, running at the uh, top five in the mod lights. Yeah, my props there's got to go to Cheeseburger. Finished fourth, I think two weeks ago we gave him props, now second. So I'd love to see him in victory lane, not in a school bus, and in the Mod bike. <laughs> yeah, for sure, eh? Uh, Hoosier Stocks, Mark Fawcett makes it back-to-back wins at Maryville Speedway in the 32, uh, winning over Dave Bailey, Donnie Lantman, go Fast People, and Kyle Pelrine. Yep. Who'd you say won that one again?
1: I am lost on the Maryville night, I'm not for my...
0: Mark Fawcett won the Hoosier Stocks. Oh, yeah, uh, right. And that was a night of survival too. We had, what was it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight cars DNF. Um, especially after uh, there was an incident where um, Rob Murray, I, I'd have to go back and see if there was truly contact that spun him or if it was just kind of like he was already loose and then somebody got into him, made him uh, a little bit more loose than he should be. And then basically the whole field piled into a spinning uh Rob Murray off of corner number two. So, eight cars left running at the end of that one. Uh, and some of them were still damaged at that. So, uh, it was definitely a, a minefield, that one. Yeah, but no surprise to see Mark Fawcett in Victory Lane. So, it sounds like he survived the war.
1: And I've seen some, those, doesn't happen all yeah. the time, but I've seen races like that in the old street stocks or your stocks, whatever you want to call them at Merrittville. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so not a shock on both fronts.
0: Uh insane car count uh for the sportsmen had to run a B feature on Saturday night, uh which was won by Spencer Smulders. Uh Mitch Dumont, Terry Smith, Dan McKay, Ooh. Curtis Reason, and Chris Hawkins all came out of that one to make it into the main show. Uh Cameron Lane, Jason Faraway, and Doug Walsh were the cars going home. So uh that would have been twenty seven cars total for the for the sportsman to show up. Uh, and try to make the show on Saturday night. So really, got to give it props to everybody in the sportsman division that have been putting together these uh, fantastic numbers all year long. Really, a car count at Maryville has been exceptional pretty much all year long. We've been lucky, uh, and we're getting some great competition because of it. Uh, Billy Bleach Jr. grabs his first win of the year uh, and wins it over Taylor van der Zanen, who looked like he might be able to hang on for most of that race. Uh, he was out front for a good portion of it. Um, Taylor and Nelson actually switched cars. I was talking to Nelson pre-race. He sent me a message that, uh, he was piloting the 74, trying to shake down, um, some setup stuff and they gave the 35 over to Taylor and obviously with Vanderzahn Van and started second, brought it home second. So whatever they got working on that 35 car, it is applicable to both drivers. So hopefully the 74 is, uh, right there in line, not too far along, um, Interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Justin Sharp and Cody McPherson rounded out the top five. But how about Billy Bleach Jr.?
1: Yeah. Billy's been around the sportsman ranks uh, for quite a while now. Seems like he's been around the race car ranks forever. Back to the street stock days. I can remember when he was a young teenager running one of them. But, uh, yeah, he's starting to get into that uh, definitely one year, one win or a couple wins a year kind of guy. And uh, there he is. Picked one off at Meritville this mm-hmm. weekend. I was super pumped to see that.
0: And, uh, yeah, congrats to Billy. I always love to see Billy Bleak's Jr. win. Uh, yeah, definitely. And somebody that I think everybody was happy to see win on Saturday night Dalton Slack gets his first career 358 modified win in the core Pack merchandising. 358's at Merrillville Speedway, winning it over Gary Lindbergh, Matt Williamson, Scott Wood, Ryan Susie. And uh, Slack had to earn it, man. He had a, a late restart, he had to survive. Uh, Gary just couldn't find a way around him he got close but it was never I don't know I I just was really impressed with what I saw from Dalton I know like it even I heard him climb out of the car and say something like along the lines of uh oh I almost gave that one away or whatever but it never never really felt like that you know
1: yeah it sounds like something my buddy Dalton would say uh spend every day with him at work uh him and his d- dad Bob uh hang out with him every single day so it's uh, super cool to see them getting their First win, and uh, that's one I do know about. Like, I know he was pumped all week. Like, oh man, I'm fine because he just came back about a month ago. And then to pick up his first win after about a year off in the 3RS to collect his thoughts or whatever, I guess he'll be our guest this week on the podcast, so we'll ask him for sure there. But uh, for to pick up a win within a month, mm-hmm. I knew he was pumped because now he's back into the handicapping and he's he was psyched all week. I huh? just kept telling him, just do your thing, man, just roll it and uh. Couldn't believe it when I saw it. I, I was going to go to the race and then I decided to stay home and watch Knoxville Nationals. I
2: was like, ah,
1: could kill myself for that. But, uh, bummed I missed Dalton's first win. But, uh, Pumpy's going to be a guest on the podcast.
0: Yeah, it's going to be great to talk to him. But um, I think he's going to have a, a lot to say. He's, uh, he was so fired up. And I, like I say, I just watching that, calling it in the tower, I was just so happy for him because. You never know what we're seeing, right? With a guy, you know, when you're seeing a first win, especially with a guy as young as Dalton is, you know, we could be talking about a a driver who's on the level of a Matt Williamson, for example, or or a Gary Lindbergh in 10 years from now. You know, we don't know what Dalton's ceiling is, and it's just starting. Imagine all the starts, all the events, all the wins that a guy like Matt Williamson has. And, you know, we know that any track he shows up to in any vehicle, he's a threat to win. Is there? Can we see Dalton Slack get to that level? Are we starting, is this the first step towards a career like that for Dalton? I don't know about that.
1: Uh, we'll have to ask Dalton that or get his opinion on it for sure. But I know he's a super quiet kid. and He doesn't like uh, getting too pumped up about himself. And uh, so I don't know how to even answer that question. But I know he's super stoked that he got his first win there. And uh, I think I saw Joe Plaza comment on one of his posts and something like, you win your first one. And then whatever, and then you win more, and then finally you're expected to win, and that's basically perfect. Plasic said it perfect on whichever post it was. I can't remember the wording specifically.
0: I do remember seeing that on social media about the idea of it, once you once you win your first one, that's how you kind of learn to win races, and once you learn to win races, then it's when you're expected to win. Uh, I thought that was great wisdom from Joe. Um, yeah. I, for me, yeah. I I I really think. The, the field of the modifieds is so tough that it really does benefit these young guys that, you know, I I don't think we're going to see a lot of driver turnover in the next 10 years. And, you know, knock wood because we're getting to see so many great talents, but you know, by the time you know, like how old is Dalton right now? Like he's not, I don't even think he's 20 yet. Right. No, he's still not. Even, no, he's
1: going to be 19 in October. So still right? 18. And I think, Matt didn't win until he was nineteen, I think. So Dalton at um, eighteen—that's what we were thinking today. Like, if who would be the youngest winner ever in a three fifty-eight at Merrittville? And uh, I'm not that super stoked on history, but we got to ask someone like a Fran or a Shane Pierce or something. I should ask Shane before this podcast. But there's probably there could be someone like way back in the fifties or sixties or them or not. But I would never think about or something like that. Yeah, he's he's the one youngest one I can think about in recent recent memory. And got to love Dalton for not going, like, he went straight to modified. And it is hard to get your teeth kicked in learning like that. I did mm-hmm. I did it the same way, and it sucks. And uh, for him to pull through and get that win,
0: is dope. So proud of him. So what is that transition like, going straight into the modifieds? Like, what um, what were you running, for your experience, what were you running before that you jumped right into a modified? Go-karts?
1: Oh, just like Dalton, go-karts. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's just basically there is a different little bit driving. Like everyone that's been on the podcast that's been said they've driven both, right? Yeah. Have said that it's like such a different driving style between the one or the other. So you can learn the one and maybe get some wins. But then when you go to switch to the other one, maybe it's a little bit steeper learning curve than you were thinking. Whereas you can just start in the higher division and get your teeth kicked in a little bit harder. And uh Yeah. Eventually, you pull it off. Well, especially anyway, if that's did, but Dalton did super quick.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's where you, if, that, if that's where you want to go and that's where you want to be, you may as well just go to it. I guess if if you have the opportunity, right? I that's the other part of it is not everybody has that opportunity to go and jump into something like that. Part, yeah. So, um, and I I think we all know that the equipment is going to be top notch. We know that Dalton's going to be a top notch driver. He's going to have a lot of family experience and history he can depend on that's the other part of why i got so much faith in him that you know we're could be starting the the, we're just witnessing the beginning of uh, an amazing career uh maybe locally and maybe even further than that but uh, not to put too much pressure on the kid you know i have to reel that in a bit when we actually sit down with him here so i don't scare him away i know right yeah. Just cheering for good yeah. stories, okay? We're cheering for good stories, and we got some good stories well, out of the. Made
1: one. He's already got a great one,
0: right? Yeah. We got a good one from uh, Ash Weekend as well, as we had two way two awesome nights of racing. Uh, first of all, we had the Spring Car Nationals, which we got to talk about. Uh, I I'll make it quick. Uh, I'm not gonna, you know, I I'm not gonna make you rehash things too much. But yeah, tough uh, tough break for you. With uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to explain it because you're not as kind to yourself on on how you, uh, you explain what happened, but uh, driver error, running the bottom side, really trying to hustle the race car, uh, a little bit of damage, a little too more damage than maybe you guys thought, couldn't get it fixed to get back out into the B main, and yeah, uh, end up uh, missing the spring Car Nationals, but that's okay, you came back, had a solid run the next night, but uh, yeah, that, that I, th- I think that's the kindest way I can put it for you, Travis, because I know what you'd say, and it's Honestly, I don't feel like having to censor the podcast. Yeah.
1: Driver stepped on it. (laughs) Like, I honestly clipped the wall first, going into turn one on the opening lap, but then the tire didn't go flat right away. Then about lap three or four, it did go flat going in three and I almost spun out. And Then I was holding on to it with a flat left front, and then I finally lost it because I was trying to rip the wheel out of my hand. Going into the corners, and I should have just putted around, and I would have made it. But uh, no, I was trying
0: to hug the bottom and go faster (laughs) like the dummy. Get it happens we got through it don't worry you got another chance to redeem yourself in september as well too so mm-hmm. that's coming up uh Polly cola giovanni we mm-hmm. got to talk about uh I, I, again i don't want to call him an, an invader because it always sounds so mean but started up front guy was fast the whole time he was over at ash weekend monday and tuesday and he he grabbed the uh the win in the uh in the spring car nationals yeah,
1: another guest this week is going to be uh, Paulie's crew chief that he just picked up recently, uh, Kevin Lovies, and he's been around last weekend forever. Born in he's a Hamilton boy, and uh, he's been crewing on sprint cars for the last easily over 20 years. has been has spent time on the Outlaw Tour and uh, was Steve Poirier's crew chief before this and Glenn Stires on multiple occasions. And uh, yeah, Kevin's just a super smart guy with sprint cars, and uh, Kevin needed that more than Paulie, I think. To be honest with you. And uh, Polly finished second to Ryan Turner, the first one. And then just having Kevin in the mix, just turned it up. Yeah. Just that little bit. And Polly was able to sweep the weekend. And the second day was even more impressive, if you ask me, because he did it for me. Yeah. The track was a little racier the
0: next night. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about uh, that f- the finish of that one, where Stuart Friesen, uh, another invader, we'll call him, from NASCAR... Well, i keep calling the craftsman truck series which it sounds like they're going back to the uh nascar whatever camping world truck series uh he he comes out runs with us gets off the dirt modifieds jumps in a sprint car and puts on a heck of a show he was bad fast in that 52 came from 10th place got up to second and i thought may have been able to get Polly at the end there but uh paulie uh, gave him a, a pretty solid block coming to the white flag and i think that uh that, uh, that was just a racing deal, in my opinion. What did you think of that scenario? Yeah, going for $10,000. Uh, Stu would have done
1: the same, no doubt about it, going for the money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Stu's no no stranger to spring cards. It's just been a while since he's run one, but he's got double-digit ESS wins. He has a world of Outlaw wins at us weekend back in 2015. Uh, he's the only second Canadian to ever win an Outlaw race. So uh, they don't call him Stu the shoe for nothing, and uh, he showed that. Wheeling it up to second and almost getting it done. But uh, Pauly with the perfect block.
0: Yeah. Polly's a good shoot, too. Wheelman as well. Absolutely. I was so impressed by what I saw from Polly. the way he can just rip it around the track. Uh, freeze him would look bad fast on the top side. Corey Turner had a great run uh, on the uh, Monday night show, brings it home third. Jordan Thomas fourth and Mitch Brown rounds out your top five, who was uh, Carl Brown's pick. Uh, <laughs> Carl Brown from 97, seven hits FM. I brought him out to the uh, spring car and, uh, we were sitting right down in the front, got sprayed with dirt. Uh, I, that was one of the things I, I we, I got to talk about this because it's been a long time since I've sat in the stands for a dirt race because I'm always in the tower calling it mm-hmm. for the most part, or if I'm not calling it, I'm there to, you know, do a press release or something about it. So I haven't sat down in the stands in a long time, you kind of forget how much dirt gets uh, sprayed on those uh, front couple rows. Like we were in, I think, the eighth row going into turn one. I loved it because I could perfectly watch the cars like arc into the corner. Uh, and it, may, it actually worked out really well when I was watching the Pinty Series practices too. You could really see who was carrying speed into the corners. But uh, yeah, it was so f- it was so funny to be back in the stands and just watching a dirt race. And uh, oh, it's fun. Yeah. Turn
1: one at Ash weekend when the sprint cars were out there—that's the mud bullet zone. So keep your head up because you can get those things can definitely hurt. But,
0: I got a few of them, but uh, it wasn't the—it uh, wasn't the worst experience.
1: No, It's not I, as bad as it used to be. Back in the day when Ash weekend get it a little heavier, but like the mud bullets back in oh man, like the mid 2010s at last weekend, they could get some serious velocity behind it.
0: Yeah, Maryville's good for that yeah. too. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, Mirabel, really. I've seen it. Sometimes you can watch it. Like, uh, you can kind of watch even from the tower. You can watch it come through the through the fence. There, you can see the clumps of clay and whatever else coming off the racetrack. Sometimes, but uh, I I was really impressed with the race that uh that was put on uh, from the Oshkewan racetrack. It was so it's so blacked over on the Monday night. Um, all those spring car laps, really, like just made that track like ice, which was not fun, I don't think, for the uh the Pinty series race cars that were trying to do their hot lap uh, session. Shout out to Aaron Turkey, by the way, local boy, grabs the uh hot lap challenge uh win for running fast time and uh that I think it was a twenty minute or thirty minute session on Monday night that 30. the uh th- Yeah right thirty minutes uh that the Pinty's cars had so uh and I think Turkey went out and laid it down like within the first couple laps. Um yeah, those cars. Basically, the longer they ran, the slower they got. But it was, uh, it was a good practice. I'm, I'm sure car, they appreciate really. it. Yeah, right. It's always going to yeah, be the as the track changes, tires wear yeah. off. If you're in a dirt car and you can go the same
1: speed at the beginning as you do at the end, that's almost a guaranteed feature win. So uh, yeah, no shot to see him rip it off early. And I heard like there was no Pinty's officials around on Monday. I was hearing some things through the pits, so it was like tire prep central going on over there. And uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: apparently Aaron had the best set of special tires there, Harry. And uh, he picked yeah. up the extra 1500 And Because uh, like, that was the main thing. That was one of the biggest talking points. We can get into that more later. It was like the tires on the Pinty's cars.
0: Yes. Rock hard. Yeah. I think we'll they were end the whole they, conversation they were
1: off. and siped and ground and prepped. Yeah. Monday, they were different.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll uh we'll touch on the Pinty series as the last kind of talking point because the Sprinkler stuff was so entertaining. We gotta talk about Mike Bowman putting on a show on uh Monday night, just crushing the field. Um I'm pretty sure it was was it Monday there or Tuesday night where he won a feature because he went back to back in the action crate sprints. Um and I can't remember, but I think I thought I heard Adam Ross or Greg Callum say that that was the fastest feature win of all time. Like that was the fat, the fastest crate sprint for the race. Crate. Yeah. It's possible. I think that that pace that Bowman put on, cause he just was impressive, man. Like I'm reading the yeah, article and, and saying Bowman was shot out of a cannon. Like that's the perfect way to describe him.
1: Yep. Uh, I just think it's, yeah. Dykstra, they were so dominant in those create sprints for so long, but now they've found uh their match and it's Mikey Bowman. And uh, tech was extensive. Everybody passed, so uh that can shut the rail birds up. And uh oh, yeah Bowman. So he's used he's used to the dirt modifies, right? Which is double the power and way less downforce, So half the power mm-hmm. and way more downforce. It's not really a shock that he picked it up, being able to stick that thing really good. And uh yeah, almost eleven second lead the one night. I didn't have, I had audio in my trailer both nights, or I had video in my trailer both nights of the stream, but no audio, so I didn't pick up all the stuff Adam was saying, so if that was a lap record for the feature, that's super cool for Mike.
0: Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out which night it was, because um, uh, the Monday night, there was a wreck, so I don't know how you technically score that, uh, if yeah, two, Caution Lap would factor Tuesday in that, right? It. So I bet you it was that. Yeah, way. that's what I'm thinking, so it must have been the Tuesday race was the fastest crate sprint. Uh, We'll double check that one, but I, I was just so impressed. I'm so impressed with what I'm seeing out of, out of Mike Bowen and the crate sprints. Like uh, I know he hasn't had like the most dominant season necessarily, but every time he does win, like the car is just perfect and he's driving away. Like I watched him win a good one at, uh, at Maryville. That was a a no doubter, easy to, Mm -hmm. it's it's just been impressive. Yep. No doubt. Uh,
1: but I know Mike, will be uh, at Humberstone for sure this Sunday. And I know he wants to win in that modified too. So uh, he's been running pretty decent in that as well, but had super bad luck as well in that thing. So I know he mm-hmm. wants to get back to victory lane in that thing too.
0: Yeah. And uh pretty similar uh, finishes. I mean, Cola Giovanni wins it on Tuesday night. Mike Bowman wins yeah. it on Tuesday night. So the same guys were bad fast. And I, uh, I don't know from your seat, but, did Oshuriken feel like a different racetrack between night one and night two?
1: Absolutely. There was way more bite on Tuesday, even though it was still pretty slick in the middle, but there was way more bite to be had on the top and the bottom. On the Tuesday, it was just a little bit different way that they watered it and stuff, and Doug even said it in the driver's meeting that uh, they didn't like the way that happened on Monday. It got a little bit too slick, so you didn't see quite as many moves, but then probably won from eighth on Tuesday. So my opinion, Tuesday was perfect for the track not comp- do not know. just cuz i suck when there's no bite anywhere but Monday there was a little <laughs> bit to get a hold of and that's when i'm a little bit better
0: yeah i uh i thought uh the Tuesday night race was definitely uh Tuesday night racing was definitely the better of two nights but if you like speed and you like guys just like really sending it i felt like that's kind of what we got on on Monday i thought it was like like glass no and like I, like i said no, see, I, I, I know you, I know technically it is the other way, right? Like the fat, I think hot the speeds were actually... Tuesday
1: was sending it like, cause that was, yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. No heat race. So we, like I did not lift and the track was there on Tuesday, like no lifting at all. Just drive around there and pray to God your motor's got enough steam to, you haven't just scrubbed enough speed. Cause the littlest little tweak could mean the difference between having to be in the feature. Like I got lucky and I got in, in hot laps, which I was dying to do. But uh, but that d main was stacked. Freezing was in it. Presko was in it. So many mm-hmm. guys were in it. Hooping in, stacked d main, yep. and to avoid that was everything. So uh, and the track was perfect in time time trials on Tuesday. That
0: was the most wide open it was all weekend. So from the fan perspective, like Monday night, when I say they were like sending it, it because the track was so glassy, it it seemed like the guys yeah. were barely hanging on to it. That that's kind of what I I feel like is you had to drive it a lot more rather than being able to just ride wide open and try to make that perfect time. Like I felt like every single time that the sprint car went into a corner, I was like, yeah, this guy could totally, totally like spin it right around right now. And I wouldn't be surprised. Like it really felt like Monday they were on the edge of control um, from a handling perspective, which I think would make sense why there was maybe less passing throughout the field. But like you say, Tuesday, the track was just bad fast, and you guys could just absolutely rip it. And uh, yeah, you are you were great. You had way better drive off uh, on Tuesday. I don't know. I guess the track just played right into your hands. But that bottom line, the, I, sitting in turn one, again, I could see the way you just drove off of, especially off of two and down the back straightaway, was way more effective the second night. So uh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to play bias yeah. here, but uh, whoever's prepping the track, if we can get more tracks like that for Travis in the future... <clears throat>
1: yeah just a little bit no i thought the track was perfect there's still stuff on
0: the top side and uh, yeah and uh the finishing yeah the finale of the whole uh shebang was the nascar pinties race the Pinty's 100 nascar uh pinty series debut on the dirt and right off the hop i'm gonna come up with a blazing hot take that was the best nascar sanctioned uh, dirt
1: race period i'll agree with you
0: Eh, i don't know
1: there could have been some there's been so many truck races at eldora that there might be one of them that was right there with it but i just love the ones that are on dirt track like it blows a blue bristol out of the way out of the out of the water if you ask yeah. me like oh, i'll yeah. watch a hundred million dirt races at us weekend like everyone's they were slow whatever they raced great i was going say they raced great they had a great mm-hmm. race and uh, I hate when they ruin Bristol. I hate that. I wish they would go to Eldora. It'd be more like Ox They'll never yeah. see them at Ox the real NASCARs, because it's border issues and so many different reasons. But, yeah, I think you're definitely onto something there. But uh,
0: so I did love the trucks at Eldora, too, when they were there. I think you're probably right. Like, I think the trucks put on some decent shows at Eldora. I think it got a little bit stale towards the end because guys just started to figure it out more and more. And the more and more you figure out Yeah, they out spun out a
1: lot more. I'll give it that. Like, yeah. the NASCAR Craftsman truck guys, I seemed like there was a lot more yellows and spinning out. And it was like, oh, mm-hmm. my God. Like, I even remember falling asleep when Stu Friesen won his race just because there were so many freaking yellows in the race. Yeah. And I was embarrassed with myself and missed Stewie's first win. But, like you say, yeah, there was none of
0: that as much. Not even close. Yeah. With, no. In these cars. I think that was a lot of, a, a lot of people's fears that if it would, uh, it would become a gong show if that, uh, that race was allowed to you know carry on. Um, but I'm going to give <laughs> my, I see this is where my fiance Kyra was disagreeing with me the whole night. Uh, she wanted a little bit more of a quicker yellow call on some of those spins where the field was coming towards cars that may have been rolling at the least. They were trying to get back up the banking and get it spun around and rejoin the field. And, uh, at NASCAR's credit, in my opinion, they let a couple of things go that actually kept the flow of the race going, in my opinion. So uh, I, I think that was a big factor in it. And I, the other thing I loved about the way and raced last night was that um, there was multiple grooves. At the end of the day, you could run the bottom side and you could get up and, and kind of get alongside a guy and at least make it close. Um, and they definitely searched around and started to find better lines, like I know cutting down uh, off the bank, off a three, and kind of cutting down towards the inside wall, coming onto the front stretch was popular by the end of the race. It wasn't exactly the way to go at the start of the race. Um, but there was two grooves, and it reminded me so much of Bristol. Remember Bristol, like, 2013, 2014, where they all had to run the top side because they paved that track mm. or whatever they did to it. They reconfigured it. Yeah, it, it was and very it was, similar. Right? And that was the same thing. So the top side was the dominant side. You had to cut to the bottom, and then you had to – try to drive up alongside the guy and and hope your drive off on the bottom side was good. And that's, that's the kind of race we saw. Like I was very, very impressed with what I saw. I thought it was a thrilling finish. Uh, Stewie almost got Trayton, Trayton gave him the old bump and run going into three and four. Uh, And uh, they had a great uh, side-by-side battle right to the stripe and Trayton Lapsovich, another young, another young guy wins the the debut on dirt.
1: Yeah, I think that's his second win on the year. I think he won the season opener. Yeah. But uh yeah, it's basically what I just almost what I predicted the week before, what I hoped for. Just uh a lot of green racing where they kinda just felt each other out and uh rode some laps and the Cam was quick earlier. I don't know what quite happened to him. I know he was leading when I was watching for quite a bit of it. And uh yeah, I watched the end of it on the way home on my phone, I'm not gonna lie. But uh yeah, it was perfect. Like it was a little bit contact quite a bit, but uh, Stewie did get Trayton loose to get by him, mm-hmm. so uh, then Trayton fed it back to him on the last lap, and they didn't clean each other out, they both finished 1-2, and uh, if you're going to bump and bang a little bit, that's all you can ask for, is the two guys finished 1-2 doing it, and yep. not one guy spun out, and the other guy
0: with the awkward victory lane. Yeah, one and because, especially because they were teammates too, 1-2-5 ended up uh, for the 22 yep. racing team, so... Uh, good to see there. I-, I wanted to ask what you thought of uh, Jake Sheridan. Oh,
1: what else could you ask for? A golden opportunity for our boy Jakey. Uh, Christopher Bell could make her over the border. And then uh, he om- I just found a- it when mean, I just heard his interview earlier on YouTube there or Facebook or whatever. And he said he had an opportunity to run it earlier in the year and it fell through. So I'd pick up that. That's what I said to him when I saw him earlier. I'm like, just keep the defenders on it, man. Run a good race, and maybe they'll give you a shot on one of the pace tracks, and uh, hope they give him a shot on one of the pace tracks. Cause that'd be awesome to see. I know Jake, he wants to get that.
0: Yeah. Uh, he uh, certainly uh, mixed it up with, uh, I believe it was Cameron that was super unhappy with him at the end of the race, because they were leaning on each other, but Jake did what he had to do to get the spot, and uh, I get that Jake's a rookie. I get that Jake's a dirt dirt ringer for these guys, and you know Cameron's going. He's for not a even a dirt ringer
1: though, not at all. Like that was his first start on dirt.
0: No, that's what a I'm practice
1: session in the crate sprint, I think.
0: But he's not a serious regular, you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. It's like yeah, he's exactly, just he's, yeah. A, he's a ringer, right? That they called in for this this event, and and he just I was impressed. I I was impressed, and I don't think I don't think Cameron can be as upset as he. uh as he seemed to be running all over Jake at the end of the race there. I didn't love that as much, but uh, yeah. I, I, I The Pinty 6 Series was a success, in my opinion. I thought the, the race on dirt was good. Uh, also got to give a shout-out to uh, Dave Bailey. Uh, started 12th, brought it home 12th in his debut in the Pinty Series, and uh, I hope he's another one that I hope gets uh, some shots uh, at some of the uh, pave racings because uh, we know that you know, just as much as he's dominant on dirt, he's got a lot of success over at Flamborough as well. So, Yep, five Flamborough track championships. I
1: saw that. Uh, I know they were hoping for a little bit more mm-hmm. than 12th in there. They're up 7th. Uh, I know Bobby Slack doesn't go to the tractor on 12th, so I can guarantee you they were hoping for a little yeah. bit more. But uh, everyone was congratulating Dave, and uh, it would have been cooler if he would... You're getting stuck in the wrong lane. That's what stuck about double-file restarts, if the track's pretty dominant like it was for them around the top. So uh, that hurts to get stuck in the wrong lane and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, decent run.
0: Yeah. I talked to Dave after the race, and and that's basically what he had to say. And I think he's going to come up on the show soon, and we'll talk to him more about his experience. But, yeah, it was just the idea that uh, you end up in the wrong lane late in the race, and you go from running seventh where he was lined up and then, He's kind of slide back to twelve because you can't get back in line or whatever. But when he was in line, he he definitely figured something out. Like so, uh, all in all, great racing, great uh, weekend, <laughs> great to be a fan again, uh, and not uh, super busy. Uh, wanted to shout out Graydon Bun from the uh, Stickers and Scuffs podcast. They do a great job covering the Pinty Series all year long. I uh, get to meet him. I uh, get to meet Olivia Whistle, who is stepping up covering social media for NASCAR Pinty Series. Uh, her dad was also a NASCAR racer back in the day and, uh, found out that Sam fellow's car is, uh, actually her dad's old, uh, chassis. So that, uh, and probably old body too, considering it's still a Chevy Impala when everybody else is running the Camaro nose on, uh, on the Pinty series. And, uh, it was just great. Everybody that I got to meet from different podcasts, different media, it was, uh, good to meet Mark Urban video. If you like, uh, sports car racing or uh, Indy car racing, he works with Dalton Kellett, Canadian driver. Uh, good to finally meet Mark after being an admirer of his work for a long time. Just uh, a lot of people uh, came out to that event and it was a really, really super cool time. And uh, it sounds like there's at least two more of these things going to happen at Osh weekend uh, next year and the year after. So I'm looking forward to it. And uh, Okay, we'll end it off on this. So it was success, success for the first one. Uh, give me one guy from uh, the States, uh, whether it be NASCAR, whether it be a sprint car guy, whatever. Uh, one guy locally that you want to see get a shot in the NASCAR Pinty Series uh, race next year at Ush Weekend.
1: Ooh, I want to see Dalton Slack in the 36. I'm
0: not gonna lie. <laughs> Ooh, all right. You want to see mm-hmm. Dalton get okay. All right, and who's your guy out of the states? Who you want to see? Whether it be a, a NASCAR guy, whether it be somebody else that uh, comes mm. to mind. Well, Seabell couldn't come up this year, so
1: he's out of the question. Larson's already been done so many times. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one.
0: I got a name for you. I don't know, like Wait, this might be Brisco's the last one. The truck race at
1: Eldora and stuff. So Chase Briscoe or something.
0: Yeah, Briscoe's a good pick. That. I would say I want to see, I want to see Tyler Reddick come up if we're gonna get a nascar Here's guy mine tyler reddick come up and race with us tyler's yeah. already been i mean weekend. briscoe's a great answer though i'll like...
1: forget that yeah yeah I mean, right way back yeah World that's what i'm saying late I model think... base in like 2008 and 9 or 7 and 8 something like that so yeah he's already been there back when he was a little redheaded kid probably like when he had the tiniest little teenager you've ever seen it was
0: fun it was so funny back then is that when he had the, sh- yeah, the hair down his shoulders too ginger shag <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm going to say, I want to see, uh, I'm gonna, I want to see Tyler Reddick as a, uh, a ringer from the state side. Uh, and I want to see, I want to see Matty. I want to see Matt Williamson jump in one. I like it. Yeah. Right. I think those are two good ones. Uh, maybe we'll put that out on the, the socials too. Uh, we had a couple of ringers come through this year. Who do you want to see? Give us a pick w- one local driver, one uh one guy out of the states whether it be from a world of outlaws whether it be from nascar whatever it might be uh you can uh tweet us at sods underscore pod on twitter at sods underscore pod on instagram and southern ontario dirt show on facebook let us know who you want to see in the ash weekend uh, pinty series race next year and on that note i think it's time we start talking some drivers uh up next well driver and crew chief this week Dalton Slack up first though hey do you like what you're hearing want to support the Southern Ontario Dirt Show and help us expand our coverage across the province and western New York well your ad could be playing right here got a brand or business that deserves more attention email us Show at gmail.com to become a sponsor of the podcast and now let's get back to the show Alright, it's the Southern Ontario Dirt Show. We are live with Dalton Slack. I guess it's not truly live, we're taping it technically. But Dalton, welcome to the show. Thanks for being a part of this and uh jumping on with us.
3: Thank you. I uh I appreciate it. I uh Travis has been telling me about it and I've been trying to keep up and listen to it as I drive up to the shop and I don't. I told Travis a little while ago, I said, Man, I gotta get on this one day. He said, Well, maybe if you win So I guess I got lucky this week and I'm I'm here, so
0: I don't know if it was more than luck you you started out front in uh in the modifieds at Maryville and uh you were able to hang up there pretty good and and you did a great job fending off uh Gary Lindbergh in the end there so uh, talk to us about that drive and uh and finally getting your first win
3: yeah absolutely um i I don't know I think it's a little bit of luck but at the same time I thought everything clicked really well um definitely we were fast. We, uh, we normally suck in practice. So when we, uh, when we have speed in practice, we know it's going to be a good night. Uh, I think we were second fastest in practice and went out in our heat race and cars probably felt the best it's felt all year and had a good showing in the heat race. And, uh, the week before we lost just about all of our brakes, So, uh, we had a DNF, so that lined us up pretty good with the handicap and, um, started on that outside pole and, uh, just kind of, you know, took my time and rolled around the 73 car and just made sure I, you know, hit my marks and all that. And, um, kind of started driving away, but, uh, most definitely I hit that lap traffic and it was tough. I think I had the three cars in front of me there for a little bit. And, um, they were telling me I had a big lead until I caught them cars, but, uh, I just took my time and I was patient and I just made sure that, you know, I can't, go barreling off in there and hit somebody and spin out and um, I got past them and then that caution came out and uh, I had about, well, just about everybody came up to me afterwards and said, ah, probably didn't want to see that caution. I said, well, I think I did because it it, it cooled me down. To be honest, I got a, I was getting a little antsy in the car watching that lap counter go down. I was like, ah, you know, 30 laps to go. Here we go. You know, it's starting to feel real. And then Caution came out, so I kind of just took a couple deep breaths and hit my marks and had a good restart. And uh, I guess the rest is history.
1: Yeah, you were talking all week about uh, how you're finally into handicapping because you just came back about a little over a month ago. So uh, just talk about uh, keeping your head in the game all week. And like when you're in the handicapping, you know, like you're going to get a good start if you do a good job in your heat. So just talk about uh, thinking about that all week and how you kept yourself psyched.
3: Yeah. Um The handicapping, I was kind of excited about. I was like, you know, I feel like, I think it's like three weeks until you get the handicap. So we were kind of grinding it out. We were starting like 12th and 10th and we finally got a decent position. And I'm like, well, the night before, actually, I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw Zach Payne won his first race and a couple others. I'm like, man, you know, I kind of got a good feeling about this weekend. I didn't tell nobody because I didn't want to jinx it, but you know, we had that handicap and all week I was just telling myself, you know, just stay cool and stay calm. And, you know, I just tried to do that and I think I did it pretty well. And it obviously paid off. I finally got that first win. And I feel like I just got a bunch of pressure off of my shoulders. I think driving that historic 3RS for dad and grandpa. And I felt like I've had a lot of pressure lately, but now that I finally got that win, I feel like I could just go out there and just Prove to people that I belong there and, you know, I'm just, I'm there to have fun, but also, you know, this is a pretty important hobby to us and, uh, go out and prove that Bicknell cars and that Bobby Slack's the smartest man. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's awesome. I, I, you mentioned the, the family history, there's one, uh, one family member that, uh, I thought I heard was not in attendance. Is it true your mom was away and missed your first win?
3: Yeah. So the only weekend she was gone. She was gone with her girlfriends, uh, up north and um, right before actually I was strapping in the car and dad's like, Well, you know, I'd love you to win, but remember your mother's not here. I want your mom to be here for your first win and <laughs> I was like, Ah I I gotta try and win this because I had that's probably one of my best shots. So I uh I I was kind of struck when I got back into tech. I was like, Man, we won and then I just was kind of I was like, Man, I wish she was here so I called her right after and she was she was so excited. She said, you know, I, I don't even care if I'm there or not. i was just, obviously she cared, but she was like, I'm just so happy for you. So I just, I really can't thank everybody enough. My mom, my dad, my grandparents, uh, both sides of my grandparents and everybody just for supporting me and just keep going, keep making me keep going every week and make sure that my head's in the game.
1: Don't forget Elliot.
3: Oh yeah, and Elliot, Elliot's always there. He was, he was my main man. He always pumps me up during the week. You know, when I'm tired, he always tells me to stop being, you know, a little wimp and to man up. And I guess we manned up on Saturday.
1: You definitely did. You def- you said uh, we always thought you belonged, but uh, to pick up win up a win within a month of coming back uh, definitely shows uh, you definitely got your head on your shoulders in that time you took your off there. Do you want to talk a little bit about the decision to take the year off? Uh, it definitely seems to work out in the long run.
3: Yeah, most definitely. I was actually I was hoping I could uh clear this up a little bit. I know a lot of people have been asking, so i will make it asked a million long, times. Yeah, I've made, I'll make it long but long but short but um, Perfect. Basically last year, probably just about this time actually. It was probably a week or two ago, uh around this time last year, I was uh I was just down on my luck. I just uh I was running bad and we've been have we had so many problems, we had the second year, we had steering box problems, and last year, we had motor problems, and we couldn't figure that out, and just felt like I was beating my head against a, a brick wall, and, um, you know, I was just down on my luck. I just finally, I was like, you know what, maybe just take a step back. Sometimes, you got to take a step back and punt, and that's what I did, and um, so told Dad and Grandpa, and, you know, they supported me 100%, and it was kind of good, actually, because we got Danny O'Brien back in the car. He wasn't in the car. Uh, or he hasn't been in a car for a long time, so I was I was happy he got back into it, and uh, he picked up that win at Brighton, and I that was actually my first race I went back to watch in you know two months or whatever, and he won, so I was happy, and uh, I got very fortunate. I had great people behind me that supported me, and I I got back into a go kart for a little while. Uh, as you know, I raced those prior to getting into the modified, and we had pretty good success with those. So, got back into the go kart. Uh had some good success in that picked up some wins and just mainly tried to focus on getting the fun back into it. And just mainly being like, you know, if my head is, you know, if I'm just so down on my luck, I just got to keep my head up. I just got to keep pushing. And, uh, anyways, fast forward to this year, but a month ago, um, I had a good talk with uh, our head welder at, um, BRP, Randy, Ellison T-ball as many of many people know him. Um, he gave me a real good talk and he just told me, you know, you belong over there and you got a lot of talent and um, it's kind of nice hearing it from other people because it's, um, you know, hearing it from your parents, it's like, you know, I believe you, but at the same time you think maybe they're just telling you that because they don't want to see you down, but hearing it from other people was great. And uh, the stars aligned and I kind of got into uh, a test session on a Thursday night at Maryville with uh, Glenn Styards and it went pretty well and then uh the next weekend we came back and um it was a great showing I think I went from last to first in my heat race and got nipped on a caution finished second and started 12th and drove my way up to I think I was passing for fifth got in a little kerfuffle there and um I think we just about finished ninth or whatever but it's um and then just from there just being you know grinding and keep my head up and just keep pushing through it and talking to a lot of great people, you know, like Tim Fuller and Matt Shepard and everybody, you know, as, as you would know, they have uh they have long history and, you know, everything about them. They say, Tim Fuller told me just, you know, sleep it off. Just take one night, sleep it off. So I just, you know, slept all my bad nights off and, you know, this week, I guess was the week. And finally, just finally got it done, I guess.
0: So that's really great, Dalton. But I wanted to ask, with that time off in the year, was there ever a thought to jump into a different series beyond karting? When maybe I need to take a step back to sportsman? Maybe I need to take a step back into a mod light or try to find a, a ride or a program like that to rebuild your confidence. Or did you trust in your abilities to get back into a modified after uh, this time off?
3: Um, I most definitely had a couple people contact me and ask you know if I was interested running a sportsman I um I definitely thought about it for a while and um it 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 interests me but I didn't want to go and do it without my family um definitely the slack family is very close we're we're all very close um I just I don't think I would have felt comfortable without you know my dad turning the wrenches and grandpa changing gears and doing gas and it just would have felt way different. And, um, so I just kind of waited. I just kind of did what I knew was best for me and stayed in carts. And, um, actually carts kind of just taught me just to slow down, just to take a step back and just to look at all your my decisions because I was wrenching on it by myself and I was doing all that stuff. And, you know, it wasn't, we weren't going to little cart races where there's four or five carts. We were going down to weed sport and racing state races against, you know, Twenty five thirty go karts and we were we showed speed and you know we were, had some top fives and some bad luck and I think that bad luck was good for me because I kept my head up and um, it was just I think it was just the right decision I, I think it was uh, I've always said this that everything happens for a reason and I guess that reason was just for Saturday everything led up to Saturday was you know that win so everything beyond that point was just. It happened because
0: it happened,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So just uh, talk about uh, being Bobby Slack's kid a little bit and uh, growing up with Bob as your dad and uh, how you became an awesome welder too. Like awesome race car driver, but uh, a lot of people don't realize what a kick-ass welder you are too. you doing all the cars now with T-Ball and uh, just talk about that.
3: Yeah, so I remember when we first, I remember you, when you guys first started this, I remember when you and I were talking about, we got to get dad on, because that would probably be, you know, the best episode, because he's got so many good stories and everything. Um, Most definitely, I, uh dad started, or made me start working when I was young, you know, he used to take me to the machine shop and throw me into the machine shop on weekends, and I think I was nine or ten, and, you know, working with all the guys, and just trying to make me, you know. The hardest worker that i can and um i actually i i didn't work there until now i kind of took a took a step back and kind of just moved away and worked some other good jobs and did some fun stuff you know growing up teenager years and then uh kind of skipped the college route and uh got hired full-time with obviously i picked on racing products and was working there and still working there at the time and kind of my uh my dad's right hand man and whatever he says i do and been uh, been welding race cars probably about full time for about a year now. And um, I love it. I just love every second of it. You know, it's repetitive, but I like repetition because it's no different than racing. Uh, racing is the same thing every week. You just get yourself in different situations. And I feel like we're working is the same way. It's the same thing, but every day is a new day and you do new stuff and you weld new race cars. And it's just, it's, it's great. I love it. I don't think I'm as good as you, Travis. I think you're better, (laughs) well than I am. But I don't know. It's uh, it's fun. Hopefully, one day, Travis and I will all race cars together, and then we'll we'll talk about podcast ideas and all that.
1: Oh, I'm sure we'll get there eventually. And uh, yeah, we both can definitely hold our own, no doubt about it. On that front, no doubt
0: yeah so it's funny my brother's a welder too and uh, he runs like basically his entire instagram account is just welding now so it's uh it's funny hearing you guys nerd out whether you're working on big buildings or whether you're building race cars you welders are all the same you're all nerds
3: (laughs) (laughs) i think it's just taking pride in your work honestly i think you know anytime i have a nice weld or, or a really good one i sneak my phone and take a picture and i think man you know if anyone ever comes and asks me, I say, here, this is what I do. And they're like, wow, like, that's, that's pretty nice. Not to, not to make myself sound good, but I think people don't realize how nice our products are at BRP and how much time and effort we put into all of our products and all of our stuff is, you know, a one and everything is just, it's gotta be perfect. Right. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the question is, yeah. Dalvin, where, what are you expecting now? You got your first win under your belt. Uh, you're back in the race car. Looking ahead to the future, would, do you have any goals that you're working towards, or anything you want to set for 2023 and beyond? That's a that's a good question.
3: I definitely uh, definitely thought about that. You know, the Sunday I was watching the race car in the morning. Um, right now, I just like to finish out the season strong. I still got a good amount of races. Um, obviously, with coming back a little bit later into the season, uh, Dad and Grandpa had races scheduled with other guys. So I didn't want to cut into their time or anything like that because that's that's not fair. Um but I think I want to finish this year strong. I would love to win more races, but I think that's not the right mindset. I think just having solid top 5 runs is a good thing and I think I got to set my expectations a little bit um a little bit higher, a little bit lower actually and just make sure I I I exceed them every night. As for 2023, um I would like to race as much as I can just, you know, but being busy at work and all that it's uh, you know, can't travel to places on Sundays and doing all that stuff, but I would definitely like to get maybe, you know, a couple more wins or, or or prove to people that, you know, I, I do belong and uh, definitely go down to the States and try to um, get there because, you know, it's great competition here and everything, but I think you get more recognition Uh, running places like Weed Sport and doing all that stuff. And I think the 358 series is a great starting point because I think you're going to go there and, you know, you're going to struggle, but then you're going to have your nights where you're going to run good and people are going to recognize you and all that stuff. So um, I'm not going to say that I got big goals, but I think next year's goals are definitely just travel a little bit more and just have some solid runs and prove to people that, you know, I belong. And, um, yeah, that, I think that's about it.
0: Fair enough. Yeah.
1: Yep. And then like we said at the shop, 2026, big block rookie of the year.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That gives me, that gives me some enough time. It gives me, you know, probably three or four years. So maybe, maybe even next year, maybe next year I, I get lucky and we go to this, uh, canadian big block series they've been having and maybe go up there once and try the big block and do all that stuff it's uh there's a lot
1: definitely get some starts in for sure
3: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and and have no expectation just go in there and you know if it's an 100 lap race just put a solid 100 laps together and just you know come come out as one piece and everybody's happy right
0: yep yeah, so. exactly. And we, I mean, we talked about it uh, a little bit before you joined us though, we were talking about, you know, Matt Williamson, where's he's at in his career. And I think you guys probably got your first one around roughly the same age. So, you know, the sky can be the limit and you can really go whatever direction you want in your career. And uh, it seems like you get a good head on your, your shoulders. Obviously you got a good family behind you that uh, is committed to helping you be the best uh, driver, be the best guy you can be going forward. So uh, we know that. Uh, I think the the Dalton Slack name is just the the legend of Dalton Slack is just starting to get written.
3: I I hope that's true. I um, that Travis and I were talking about that the other day. I asked him. I said, "Would I be the youngest who ever won, or would it be Matt?" Because I knew Matt was really good when he first started racing modifieds and all that. And um, I just I think that I would like to follow his career, as in follow his a lead and try and win the races he won and do all that stuff. And, you know, I can't say that he's my hero cause I race against him every single week, but <laughs> I do definitely look up to him and how smart he is and, you know, how he races and all that. and Most definitely just a, a smart, cool, calm, collected racer. And I think that's what I would like to be when I grow up and uh, most definitely still, still work at BRP and still do all that stuff and still help everybody and learn more about race cars and all that. But most definitely, win some bigger races and get my name out there
1: oh man I'll give you just one more question like uh what, like when you were growing up uh, I was the tech guy in go-karts and stuff and like the group was Dalton Slack Josh Hansen uh Kyle Phillips and Trevor Wright and three of you have got your first wins this year in the, the upper echelon series that you run and Trevor Wright He's got a top three in the modified and he's got a lot of top fives in the sportsman this year. He didn't quite get his motor ready for the three fifty eight this year, but uh, he's no slouch either. So just talk about your go-kart battles with those four at Merrittville and uh, how cool it is that uh, you guys are all in big cars now and kicking ass in those too.
3: Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty cool. I actually, I talked to Kyle Phillips today on the phone for a little bit and um, most definitely it, it all seems like we're all you know doing good at one time Kyle notched I think two or three wins on the SOS tour and he's been uh he's been giving it to them guys up there and he's been really good and uh Josh I watched him at Oshbegan there Monday and Tuesday and he's just he's a hell of a driver I give a lot of credit to Josh racing these guys you know going out there and racing guys like Corey Turner and Ryan Turner and you know for the Nationals he had Stu was there and and uh Pauly and all them and and uh, they're really good and and my boy Trevor he's um <laughs> I I love Trevor to death he's always he's always picking on me when I walk into the pits and all that and saying <laughs> that I'm doing no good so hopefully he'll stop picking on me now I finally got a win he for the longest time he was actually doing better than I was because I think my best finish before Saturday was he uh, did have you until then fourth, yeah he had you. a couple years ago yeah 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 so now now I went up them so no but those guys great great group of guys that i raced with and growing up and um
0: there's not i don't think
3: there's much competition that you'll ever get like that like i think anybody could win on any night there and those were the days yeah when you were the tech guy yeah it was t- crazy battles between out.
1: you guys and uh <laughs> yeah almost too much for me you know how go-karts is Jeez.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah 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 most definitely so. all right johnny hit him it's with fun. the question it is fun
0: All right, this is the question we get everybody out of the uh, interview with here, Dalton. So I'm going to give you one race car, one racetrack, anywhere in the world, any class of car. uh, What's your pairing to drive one last time?
3: Oh man, Mm -hmm. you put me on the spot. Um...
0: Travis didn't prep you for this one. This is the I thought he would have listened to it. uh, Every interview. It's our Corey Lejoy memorial. Say,
1: I thought about that today.
3: I should have prepped him. Uh. Man, that's tough because I've been listening to a lot of uh, Dale Jr. podcasts, and I hear. Give us like a hypothetical
1: one, like a, like you know, like a whatever, like a fantasy world car track combo, and then give us like a real life kind of thing.
3: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, I can do that. Um, I think most definitely a a fantasy one, and you you'll think I'm silly but there's this go-kart race, uh, down South. It's called the big O tribute and it is probably the coolest go-kart race ever. They got big limited flatheads on it and they make the most noise and the most speed. And I think it's like 10,000 to win. And I've always wanted to race that in a weird way. I probably, it's probably more realistic to be honest, because you can probably pay enough money to go down there and race for somebody. Um, But in a fantasy world, if I had all the money in the world, I'd just love to go down there and just race the best guys. Um, Those guys down there are just, you know, everybody thinks go-karts are so easy, but when you strap on a limited flathead and those things are making huge horsepower and, you know, you touch the gas. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the coolest thing is they're going down the straightaways hauling ass and they're, you know, they're adjusting the carburetor, working on the carburetor as they're driving and... I think that is yep. probably one of the coolest races, and I think I'm just old school. I think I'm like my father. My father loves old school badass races like that. And, but in a in a fantasy world, I would uh, I don't know. I don't even know what I would do. Probably, probably something with NASCAR or something. I'd probably I'd probably go somewhere where I can run some speed. I'd probably like to go to Bristol or Dover. Or Dover I like that. Maybe run up a, a truck or yeah yeah i think dover's underrated actually i was listening to the dale jr podcast and they said uh atlanta with the new configuration it's um really really fast so i think that would be cool too most definitely i like that yeah
0: yeah i think it's it's realistic i like that because i i go-karts was the only thing i did run i run ran the arrive and drive program out in hamilton at uh, the yeah. Canadian Mini Indy, and I sucked in that. So I could only imagine what, you know, I was at the bottom of the barrel in terms of horsepower. Power. I can only imagine what uh, the flatheads are, what they would make. Of open flatheads. Trying to keep yeah. that on the racetrack. Yeah, open yeah. flatheads. And open that, modifieds,
3: too.
1: That is insane. And wild. Stuff. Yep. Yeah. wild.
0: Wild. All right, Dalton. Well, that's uh, that's about all we got for you today. And uh, I, I know you said you were nervous, but you crushed this interview. It was awesome. Uh, and I definitely am going to hold you to. We're going to have you back as well as uh some other Slack family members. We're going to do a family podcast in the off season. I think uh guaranteed. So we'll have you back on. And good luck the rest of the season. Awesome. Okay. Do you
3: mind if I thank a couple of people?
0: Absolutely. Go for it.
3: Okay. Okay. Thank you. I I wanted to do this. Um, most definitely just want to thank my parents, uh, my mom, my dad for supporting me for, you know, forever. Um, uh, my brother, my grandparents, most definitely my grandpa, uh, Randy Slack and my grandma, uh, my other set of grandparents, uh, Frank and Karen, and, you know, all my family, uh, my pit crew, Ross and Henry. Uh, they, it's funny, Henry and Ross are actually from my grandpa's original pit crew. So they've been working through all of it. Um. All my sponsors, most definitely Transport Sales and Service, uh, Integra Shocks, Bicknell Racing Products, um, everybody who makes that car go around. Uh, those are the big ones, but all the little ones, uh, DMI, Burt, um, Kaiser Manufacturing, uh, Budget and Budget uh, Powder Coating and all that. Um, just, just everybody who is on that car. I'm sure I missed a couple. I think I did that I in the interview too. But there are just so many stickers, so yeah. many stickers on that car that uh make it go round and round and um i wouldn't be able to do it without them or without anybody's help so i appreciate everybody so much and uh i'm very very thankful for the opportunity and Trust man.
0: cheers to that thank you thanks guys i appreciate it thanks for having me thank you buddy we'll have you back for sure i'm sure you like the rest of the way thanks for taking the time okay thanks guys cheers hey do you like what you're hearing want to support the southern ontario dirt show and help us expand our coverage across the province and Western New York. Well, your ad could be playing right here. Got a brand or business that deserves more attention? Email us, Show at gmail.com to become a sponsor of the podcast. And now, let's get back to the show. And it is time for the second interview of the week this week on the Southern Ontario Dirt Show. Our first crew chief... Kevin Lovey's turning wrenches and setting up a uh, two-time winning uh, race sprint car this week. Uh, grabbing not only the Sprint Car Nationals on Monday night at Oshviken, uh, but winning the next night on uh, the NASCAR Pinty Series night. Kevin, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I was just going to start yeah, off Yeah, okay, I
1: just talked... Oh, or, go yeah, for it, You jobs. first, Johnny. Oh, no, all right. I just want... No, you
0: first, you first. I just wanted to know, because, like... I, You know, we all talk about crew chiefs. We all hear about crew chiefs in, in our, in bigger series. We talk about team engineers and, in open wheel and stuff, but what does life for a crew chief at the racetrack really look like on race day in terms of setting up a sprint car?
2: Uh, mostly it's just being prepared for, you know, the track conditions and what the track's going to throw at you that particular evening. Um, being prepared and having, you know, your right tire selection and, know so you can get the right stagger that's that's probably the most critical thing when you're when you're before you get to the track yep
1: yeah. uh so okay so kev uh talk about uh like a lot of people that listen to the podcast are modified guys but all the sprint car guys know your story but uh, just talk about how you got into wrenching on sprint cars and then uh, your first gig and then uh, yeah talk about leading up to your first outlaw gig at least
2: uh well i guess it's like i've been my dad used to take me to sprint car races since i was little like we go to ransomville and uh ransomville maryville every weekend and uh you know i'd always ask him when i was little when the sprint cars are going to be there um no nothing against the modifieds or anything i'm just a huge sprint car fan um still a racing race fan in general there's a lot of really sharp modified guys that are really good drivers lots of good mechanics but uh you know i've just always been a sprint car guy so uh I think I was 16 or 17 and I was working at a shop, like an automotive shop in Burlington and I was leaving the shop one day and I looked over and the guy next to me had a sprint car sitting in there. And I, you know, I was kind of floored that somebody around that area had one. And so I just walked in and started, you know, talking to the guy and it was Ryan Conium. So I just kind of said, Hey, if you need any help, you know, I'm a mechanic and you know, I'd love to go help you out. And that's just kind of where it started from there.
1: Cool. So the, so, yeah, so then talk about uh, working for Glenn the first time and uh, moving on to the Poirier. Or, and then Jessica's in there, too. Talk about those three.
2: Yeah, it gets, uh, gets a bit confusing. I have to think think about it a little bit. Uh, yeah. So, Ryan, me and Ryan went to a bunch of ESS races, you know, raced at Ushwegen. Um He ended up getting a ride and went, you know, doing all-star stuff. So, you know, <clears throat> he was driving for, for a car and they had their own crew guys and stuff, so. You know kind of didn't leave me out, but you know i didn't wasn't kind of needed with them at the track and then uh Glenn ended up buying a car from him, so I just kind of went with the car and started working for glenn and I was probably there for three or four years and and we started winning a lot of s o s races and uh you know I was able to learn from some pretty smart guys when I was younger and then uh you know I was offered a a, a gig with uh the native poker team for, for Jessica. And then, uh, yeah, I went and did that for a couple years and we had a bunch of success. And then, uh, you know, I got an offer to go do an outlaw gig and, you know, I figured now's the chance to see if I can do it, you know, in the big league. So I went and did that for a while. And uh, that was tough at the beginning that uh, getting your ass kicked every night, you know, makes you either makes you want to not be on the road or it makes you work harder to try to make your stuff better. And uh, yeah, so I kind of learned how to lose first before. Before, you know, becoming, you know, where I was, you know, winning every three or four shows with Steve there. So,
1: yeah, uh,
2: was definitely a humbling experience being out there, getting my ass kicked.
1: So, yeah, tell me, so, like, you didn't tell us, like, who you were crewing for. So, give us that whole story and how, like, oh, the sorry, phone was, call uh, came. Tell us, like, how the phone call relaxing. came and that whole gig got hooked together. Because I've always wondered that well, story.
2: Well, was just, like, tell us how you got, a chance, yeah. It was just kind of a chance meeting. I ran into Campbell in the pits and, uh. I kind of knew him just from being at the track and stuff before. And, you know, things were kind of falling apart. Not with Jessica, just with the team owner and stuff. And, uh, you know, Jeremy offered me a, a gig to go on the road with him. And, you know, we were both kind of young guys. And we were definitely probably the youngest guys on the road. And, uh, yeah, so that's just kind of how the Outlaw thing started.
0: Cool. And then, you got anything, John? That's awesome. I It's... It... Oh, I just wanted to, like, I'm so curious from, like, the mechanical side of, of, of sprint car racing, like, how we, you know, you run two back-to-back nights with Polly this week. And from my vantage point in the seats, it sure seems like the racetracks were basically two completely different racing services by the time uh, you guys were running features. What what goes on in your head? What are you looking for from either driver feedback or just what you can visually see that, that goes into how you approach a race car between heats and features and, uh, and everything else?
2: Well, for me, it's a big, like I'm big on watching lap times. Um, and, you know, I tell, I tell a lot of young guys to do it too. Like uh, you get to the track, like even, you know, watch race monitor, even with the stopwatch and just kind of pay attention all night to how much guys are slowing down. Like even, you know, if you see a mini stock slow down four seconds a lap from, from hot laps, and you know you gotta take and you gotta think, you know, you know how far do I need to go with taking stagger away from the car and stuff like that to make it tighter. But uh, honestly, a lot of the sprint car stuff comes down to what the driver wants to feel inside the car. Um, what I've learned, if you if you got a really good driver in the car and you can give them the feeling that they want in the car, they're gonna do the rest on the track. You know, in my mind, it's 80, 80% driver in a sprint car. you got to have a guy that's going to search around, be aggressive. And, uh, you know, they got to know what they want to feel.
0: That's fascinating. So you can actually, you know, kind of pick up from other series that or other classes that might be racing on any given night and, and maybe prepare yourself for what you're going to do and what you're going to talk about with your driver based on how a mini stock's running or how a Hoosier stock or whatever might be running.
2: Yeah, it was actually uh Dan Lasowski actually taught me that. When he was on the when he was on the road racing, he was sitting in the stands all night with the stopwatch. And he would stopwatch every class that went out, you know, heat race, B main, whatever was out there. You know, that kinda gives you a good indication of what the track's gonna do and how fast it's slowing down or or you know, if you see a a street stock pick up two seconds in the B main from his heat race, you know, maybe the track's got rubber on it. Um you know just just more info. You know, the more the more variables you can take out of it, in my mind, the better you're going to be. So you can make better decisions on what you're going to do to the car, and you know, maybe talk to the driver where to run and stuff like that. So, I try to pay attention to to the whole night, not just not just when we're on the track.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. Fascinating. That's an awesome explanation, and uh, I love that you said it's eighty percent driver in sprint car because that's what I say all the time too. <laughs> <Every day. laughs> Uh, sometimes I'm not 80% up to it, but uh, yeah, it's definitely 80% driver, and uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Okay, so we took a little break in the career of Kevin Lovey's, so now you've talked a little bit about with Steve, so talk about helping Steve become the winningest ESS driver. I know that was one of your biggest accomplishments, along with winning the Nationals with him. And then uh, you moved to back to GSR for the last couple of years, and then uh, the departure there, and then uh, your resurgence with Polly coming up with a, your first guys race to get together was i think was a podium with the world of outlaws at weeds yeah yeah uh yeah that was fun that was uh it was a pretty
2: special night to run third against those guys and and honestly we were all over donnie for second with a couple to go until the caution came out so um but paul he's really good on the slick stuff so and obviously you know racing with steve in new york i got you know pretty knowledgeable on those tracks and you know, I'm not going to say we were like super exceptional that night. I mean, we were good, but I think a lot of the outlaw guys and the 410 guys struggle on that stuff. Um, so it kind of it closes up the gap between the competitions because you don't need killer engines. Um, it comes mm-hmm. down to more with the driver knowing the track and, you know, having a you know, having a good setup for the slick stuff. Cuz that that night at Weed Sport, I would say it was probably just as slick or slicker than Oshkegon on Monday. Wow. Yeah. And to be honest, the setups weren't all that different <laughs> between the two.
0: Awesome oh, so it almost served as like a yeah. test session. You were ready for it. I see. Now it's all starting to come together.
2: Well, we we got an all star race there this Sunday, so I'm pretty excited to go back to, for the all star race.
0: Yeah, you're
1: there right now, right? You're at Poly shop or on the way, anyway. Well, I'm still on my way, but uh, yeah. I should be
2: there in about an hour. Just cruising down the interstate. Actually, I stopped. I actually, found a Tim Hortons in Rochester.
1: Ten <laughs> four. All right. So you want to do you want to talk about breaking the record with Poirier and then going to Glenn and then the breakup a little bit? Don't give us that much. Just give us a little bit of it. <laughs> give us whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, we have to ask you.
2: You know, yeah, oh yeah, I get it. Um, you know, I worked for Steve for ten years, and they're uh, they're a great family, great racing family, great people. I mean, they treated me like gold, and uh, you know, we worked well together. Steve's, uh, well, as you know, Steve's a hell of a driver. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you just. Uh, the race in New York and the ESS and the Patriots, uh, you, you got to be good in the slick to be successful. And, uh, yeah. you know, you got to have your stuff together when you get to the track. And and then that's kind of where I learned, kind of learned how to race on a budget still. Like Steve, has got a successful business, but he wants to keep it that way. So he wasn't going to go out of business racing. And uh you know I learned how to you know make things last and you know fix stuff instead of just replacing on the road with the outlaws. you don't fix stuff. You just put new stuff on the car. But I mean, yep. when you got all week to, to get your car ready, you know you gotta you got make things last because as you know, Travis, it gets really expensive.
1: Yep, I can attest to that for sure.
2: And then uh you know there's guys like Eve that are you know they're still well funded and they they spend the money. You know, where they need to without being, you know, wasteful. But yeah. uh, you know, that comes back, I get you know, I got a lot of respect for guys like you that just do it kinda of out of your own pocket and do it for the love of
1: it. So Thanks, Kev. <laughs> I needed that no Monday problem. when I crashed into the wall and didn't make <laughs> the show, but I felt a lot better Tuesday when I timed in through well, time you'll trials have, you'll anyway. have
2: night, Especially in the spring car.
1: Yeah. Do you want to talk about uh, the win like with Glenn and like winning with a couple of races with in and Aaron Turkey? You got him his first win.
2: Yeah, that was, uh, you know, Glenn kind of asked me a few times the last few years if I wanted to come back. And at first it was kind of like a timing thing. Uh, you know, me and Steve wanted to win another championship. I think, I can't remember how many, how many we ended up with, eight, I think. It was a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: it was a lot. And then, uh. You know, we got, I can't remember what the record was exactly, 74 or something. And then the next year we kind of went on a tear and I think we won 12 and he kind of had a goal to get to 100. So um, I don't think we quite got there with ESS, but between Patriots, I think we got 120 something feature wins in 10 years. Wow. And then, uh, so then I was, you know, I was in Quebec for 10 years and I kind of wanted to come home. So I talked to Glenn one day and. You know, he wanted to, to do parts store and stuff, and I figured that would kind of be a good way to, to get me back around home and not have to be traveling as much. You know, and then you know, COVID came and kind of shook the whole world up, not just not just that deal. So,
1: yeah, yeah. You still got Aaron Turkey's first win. That's what I, I was proud of you guys that night. Yeah, I mean, uh, that was the COVID year too. Well,
2: yep, I, mean, I think we only raced six times that year, and you know, Aaron did a yep. hell of a job and. You know, all those guys at GSR for the last three years, like Aaron West, you know, Riley Brando, uh, TJ. um, I mean, all those guys are like brothers to me. So, uh, yeah, you know, I miss seeing them guys at the shop every day, but that whole deal just is a dumpster fire, to tell you the truth. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise to get out of there. And, uh, you know, I've known Paul for a long time. We've been friends. So he's kind of been bugging me for a couple of years to go work for him, too. So. You know, kind of worked out timing-wise that way. And, you know, the last kind of month has been uh, a lot of fun. It was back to being fun at the track and not having to look after four cars and pulling my hair out every night. And uh,
1: mm-hmm. it's
2: working out good so far.
1: No doubt. You've got your second Nationals as a crew chief.
2: Yeah, that was, uh, you know, a lot of that people are re- giving me credit for A lot of people are giving me credit, but I don't want anybody to take anything away from Paulie. Like, he drove no. a hell of a Absolutely. race, and that kid has got a ton of potential.
1: And Absolute
0: wheel he man.
2: Knows, he knows what he wants to feel, and when I give it to him, I mean, you know, I think we'll be on the front straightaway a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, I and it's funny that that was kind of where I wanted to go with the my next question was, what do you think the potential or what do you think the ceiling is with a with a guy like Paulie right now who um, maybe some of us that are more based in the modified world or maybe some of us who are more local track guys that don't have sprint cars like me at Meritville. Uh, what do you think the potential of Polly is going forward? Where, where do you foresee the, the ceiling on uh, what you guys have already started?
2: I mean, honestly, it's uh, his dad. I think the kid's ready to go on the road for 10 racing, but, um, you know, funding is going to be a problem. I mean, his dad's, his dad does pretty well, but I mean, you know, costs a lot of money. Like you're probably two, three million to go on the road with the outlaws right now to do a whole season. So, yeah, that's uh, you know, that's not easy to to manage and you know, organize and you know, making sure your stuff's together be- before we even go. So uh, I think they're kind of looking at that Larson Sweet deal next year, which will be you know, lots of exposure for the kid, and uh, you know, not not as a grueling a schedule as racing. You know, 90 times, so. If we did that deal, we can kind of still run around, you know, the All Stars and Outlaw shows in New York and close to home, and then you know hit the big 360 races.
1: Yeah, I like that. That's, that's really like, a good plan. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Okay. The thing
2: yeah, go with ahead. the Outlaws, though, is if you're if you're a contracted driver, like those guys get, I don't know, I don't know what the number is anymore, but probably two thousand to show up at the track every night. You know, eight hundred dollars yep. start money. So that's like that's what keeps those guys going up and down the road.
1: Yeah. Exactly. What do you think, like an outlaw or not an outlaw? Sorry, an all-star schedule. If you if you skip the Nationals and like the Kings Royal and the like ones that aren't all-star shows, like just the all-star races only. You said two million for the outlaws. What do you think the all-stars would do?
2: Well, I mean, after you have your equipment, like I think you're still going to spend with the all-stars. I mean, their schedule's not as grueling as the as the outlaws, obviously, but and their schedule is kind of more. I'd say laid out better where they're kind of not traveling such a distance between tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure the top teams on the All-Stars are probably spending close to a million, like with diesel fuel right now. And I heard uh, right rear tires were 400 bucks a piece at Knoxville. Wow.
1: Yikes. Um,
2: you know, if you have a bad couple weeks and hurt a couple motors, it can get really expensive really fast. You know, junk a couple cars, and you know, you almost got to kind of expect that to happen during the season. Because it's inevitable in a sprint car, you're either gonna you're gonna hurt a motor eventually, you know, you're gonna junk a car. And hopefully, you can spread them out where they're not happening, you know, one night after the other, because that's when it gets that's when it gets
1: difficult. Yep, for sure. Awesome. Well, I love wanted to put a love the insight.
2: I
0: wanted to put a little like crew chief twist on a question that we ask where we talk about uh we ask drivers sometimes about you know their dream car and track combination so i'm going to give it to you from from a crew chief's perspective is there a driver out there uh maybe past we'll go past or present driver past or present uh in the world that you wanted to go and uh turn the wrenches for be a crew chief for in any sort of racing. Doesn't have to be spring cars, doesn't have to be on dirt, it can be across any board. Who would you want to chief for uh past or present in terms of a driver?
2: Uh I don't know. I never really thought about that. I mean there's there's a bunch of young kids right now that are you know, we got that are looking pretty exceptional for their age. Like that Ryan Tim's kid, I think he's gonna be a badass. Um you know, Pauly, Paulie's right there yeah. with them. Um I think Polly will need probably a little mm-hmm. more experience running cushions and stuff like that on heavier racetracks because it's not something he's got to. It just, you just don't get experience on that stuff when you race in the Northeast. There's just not many tracks that are that are cowboy up on a cushion. Um,
1: yep.
2: Yeah, know I, you know, when I was on the road with with Tony Bruce, I got to see Larson run his first 410 race when he was like 14. And uh, that was at Chico. I remember, I remember that cool. night because it was Chico, California. And I remember, you know, everybody talking about this guy. And I think he—I don't know—I think he missed a transfer spot out of the B Main by one spot. And I was like, well, that—that that guy's not very good. But I had no idea he was 14 at the time. So, <laughs> so I remember seeing him in the pits later that day. Yeah. he walked by, and I was like, holy cow, Yeah, that's just a the- little little kid driving that car. So that was pretty impressive. And we've all know what we've all know what he's done since then. So
1: yep yep yeah you've got so many little stories like that we should do one in the winter on the road with kevin lovey's and get a couple beers in you and open you up and just get a couple <laughs> on the road stories because you've got so many good ones like that yeah you can save for yeah waiting. i
2: got a million of Absolutely. them being on the road there's uh lots of cool stuff you get to see and do yeah and, i mean it's not all fun and games it's a lot of a lot of work long hours but uh yeah, I mean, if I wasn't doing yeah. this, I'd probably be asking you if you wanted fries with your order in the drive-thru, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I always yeah. say, too. Well, Thank God I can weld a little bit with a MIG. <laughs> Jeez. And it's a good thing you got a, you got a knack for setting up these race cars and uh, finding some talented drivers to work with he and does. work for. Uh, uh, awesome to see what well, you, I uh, you pulled been, off on uh, Monday and Tuesday. I've been Ash pretty weekend. fortunate to work yeah, with for to
2: learn from, from the best mm-hmm. guys in the sprint car world. So I was super fortunate to learn from like guys like Rob Hart when I was really young. You know, when I was at TSR with Jessica, you know, I got to learn from from uh, Ricky Warner. Um, You know, just been fortunate enough to, you know, mm-hmm. pick a lot of guys brains that have been doing it longer than I've been alive. You know, Jimmy Carr was a big help at TSR.
1: Um, And just. Yep. Another yep. Canadian. Can- fellow Canadian.
2: Um. Who else? Yeah, there's a bunch of guys. Deuce Terrell, when I was really young, he kind of helped me out a little bit. Rob Hart was probably the most influential guy on me, though. Um, You know, even Brian, even, you know, picking Brian Kamenov's brain. Yeah. But uh, they'll they'll just, uh, they'll help you, but they're not going to tell you their secrets. They'll just give you a little bits of information and kind of kick you out of their trailer and say you figure it out after that. But (laughs) yeah. Now, there's some guys that appreciate you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, those guys are not those all, guys you just said. You know, guys that have been super successful and done it for a long time. So, I mean, I might, I might bullshit a driver a little bit about what I'm yeah. doing, but I would never, I wouldn't bullshit a crew chief and other crew chief and stuff like that. Just, you know, I don't want to see somebody do something to a car and then somebody go out and crash and get hurt or something. So, yep, hear
1: you.
0: Oh, awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time uh, out tonight, and uh, we'll let you get back on the road. And uh, good luck this weekend with Paulie. Uh, congratulations again on uh, the uh, the win in the Sprint Car Nats and uh, winning on Tuesday as well. Keep up the good work, keep up the success, and we'll definitely catch up with you in the off season. We got to hear some more uh, on the road stories.
2: Yeah, no problem. It'd be fun. Yeah, go. And that was uh, that was a pretty special... go get that four ten win. Yeah, I'm, that's my plan this weekend. I'm pretty motivated, and that you know this no doubt past couple of days you should be pretty special with Paulie. So. You know, I'll remember that for a long time.
1: Yeah, keep it rolling. He's hot. Yep, thanks, guys. Going to be riding into where is it? Utica, Rome, and what, Saturday? What are the two of this weekend? Uh,
2: Outlaw Speedway Friday, uh, Utica, Rome on Saturday, and Weedsport on Sunday.
1: Nice, awesome, three in a row, perfect. I'll be watching on flow. Yep,
2: they're all on flow, and you know, hopefully, we can uh, be yeah. on the podium again, and it would be really awesome to get him his first four hundred and ten win. So,
1: yep, we're pulling for
0: you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Hey. Cheers. Yep. Bye. And the Checkered is out on another episode of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for future episodes. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Southern Ontario Dirt Show. Have a question for the show? Email us, Southern Ontario Dirt Show at gmail.com. Thanks for supporting local racing in Southern Ontario, and we'll see you at the track.